Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. Well, we are in the season of back to school. It's the middle of August as I record this, and that means that school supplies are being purchased and, you know, people are getting their new clothes and starting new classes. And that ranges from elementary school all the way up to people working on doctorates or doing continuing education for their jobs. I always think about this time of year, and I feel it rather keenly because this was a time of great terror for me (laughs) when I was growing up. I hated school, hated going back to school, used to have even physical problems because I, I just feared the start of a new class and the start of a relationship with a new teacher. I never did really very well in school until I got to college, and so I just remember it as a time of great terror. What made the difference for me was that when I went to college, a dear friend of mine uh, sat down and actually taught me how to learn. His name was Kevin Eikenberry, and Ike, if you're listening, thank you. Uh, At some point in his uh, education, I think in high school, uh, one of his teachers had said to the class, look, lay aside the textbook. I'm going to take about a month here and teach you how to learn. Uh, And so he then, Ike then taught me secondarily um, all that he had learned from that teacher about note-taking and about how to study and all of those things. Well, I was in college. I had never learned that stuff. Nobody had ever taken a moment, a class even, and said, here's how to learn. I was expected to know all that on my own, and I never learned it. And then, of course, I had some other factors that kept me from doing well in learning. So what I want to do here in this podcast is do a two-parter on learning how to learn. These are the 10 most important lessons I have learned about how to study. Uh, I now have a couple of master's degrees and a doctorate. I'm not saying I'm certainly not the smartest guy in the world, um, but I've at least learned to overcome my academic fears and dysfunctions and to learn the skills that allowed me to learn well. So let me share these. Some of them are very simple. Um, All of them are backed by research. Um, and, uh, and you can go online and read further about these, but these are the 10 things probably that made the biggest difference for me or that I have, uh, seen make the biggest difference with people that I work with in turn. I do limit seminars on learning how to learn and, uh, don't do them often these days cause I'm busy with other things, but I've always rejoiced in, uh, seeing how people are, uh, changed by those seminars because they just, uh, They just help uh, the young especially overcome the very kind of fears that I endured. So here they are. We'll do this in two podcasts. And uh, very simply, these are the 10 steps, the 10 truths of learning how to learn. Of course, there's a much larger field out there of study in this area. But these are the core practical truths that I have learned. Uh, One of the most important, and you probably are aware of this if you're at all aware of learning theory, uh, is the issue of modalities. Let me explain this very quickly. Um, While there's some question as to whether there are uh, certain specific categories or types of learners, um, there is no question that the brain, everybody's brain orients to certain of their senses um, differently. So, uh, so that you have some people who are 
uh, oriented more to their eyes, some are oriented more to their ears, and so this, of course, affects learning. So let me tell you what these five are real quick and uh, maybe give you a little bit of uh, practical guidance about how these can become virtues. Uh, I am very visual. This is the first modality, and most of you probably are. Highly visual. I learn through my eyes. I read. Um, I, I, I'm just very, very visual. Uh, visual things can disturb me, uh, but uh, they also, it's also, a, I think, a gift to be visual because uh, a lot of learning is oriented towards the visual. So for those of you who are visual, you probably don't have um, a great deal of trouble learning, uh, but, but it's good and important for you to know uh, how you're oriented and also watch your children and pay attention to how they are oriented. Visual people tend to uh, need eye contact when there's communication happening. Uh, visual people tend to use their hands a lot. If you've ever watched me speak, for example, those of you who know me or have seen me, um, I use my hands a great deal. I have a number of Jewish friends who just laugh at me and tell me um, how Hebraic I am in the use of my hands. Um, it's uh, visual people will say, do you see what I'm saying? That's a very standard little phrase used by visual people. Of course, I'm not seeing what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but because we're visually oriented, of course, we, we speak in seeing terms. Um, so are you visual? Do you learn through the eyes? Now, I am highly visual, and I am very much not the next one. I am not auditory. If you're listening to this podcast and you do on a regular basis, you must be some auditory. Uh, you must have some ability to learn only through the ear gate, as we say in elementary school to the kids. Um, but you are highly auditory. Uh, musicians tend to be highly auditory. Auditory t people tend to turn their head at a slight angle when they listen as though they're shoving their ear forward. Um, auditory people... Uh, remember in memory. I remember visually. I can tell you exactly where I was standing when a certain thing happened. I can tell you what I was wearing, what I was seeing, what was going on. Bev's fairly amazed by that. Um, she is, on the other hand, highly auditory. She can hardly tell a story from a year ago uh, when someone about maybe when somebody was speaking without uh, almost ex doing their exact voice inflection, almost going into mimicry because that's how it's stored in her brain. She is highly auditory. So visual and auditory, these two tend to be um, what most people are and they tend to be, uh, they facilitate learning. So people who are highly visual, highly auditory, they need to know it and they need to orient their learnings to it, as I'll explain here in a few minutes. But for the most part, they don't have any great challenges. Now, some people are highly kinesthetic. Uh, they feel everything, and it relate, and it then goes directly to their body. Um, so they tend to, oh, you know, jiggle around a lot, need to move a lot. We tend to discipline little boys when they do this, but it's it's simply part of their learning process. It's not necessarily just them being disobedient. So uh, a lot of people are kinesthetic. They, they, they feel with their emotions and they are very much in tune with their bodies and um, they cannot seem to really even think without somehow involving the physical and maybe the emotional. Very kinesthetic, very feeling oriented. I mean that both in the emotional and the physical sense. Well, this can get in the way of learning. It can also cause a lot of disciplinary problems, um, but there are ways to, to make it work for people. And, uh, 
Um, if for I'll just give you a quick example. I'm sure some of you want to know right now rather than have to wait. Um, I've worked with uh, students who are highly kinesthetic, and I urge them to read their textbook while they're walking around the room. Uh, memorize uh, out loud. Do hand gestures when they're memorizing a list. Um, you know, in other words, connect a pleasant and a positive kinesthetic experience to the learning process. And you can imagine that there are volumes written on this. I won't get into this in this in detail in this podcast, but it's important to recognize that you may be kinesthetic or you may be uh, have a child who's dominant kinesthetic. This is all real important. Um, then, of course, you have those who are super rational. And super rational um, are people who are almost all up in their head. Best, best to think of the absent-minded professor uh, who hasn't got matching shoes on and has you know lime green jacket with purple pants on or something um, and still has maybe the morning's breakfast on his tie, um, but he's a genius. You know, he's figuring out how to go to Neptune or whatever um, in a spaceship uh, or, or you know, new, new versions of computers, but he's, but he's absent-minded. In other words, he's not connected to the world visually, auditorially. Um, he's primarily up in his head. Now, very few people are purely any one of these. Um, and so only the extreme absent-minded professor um, is, is only super rational. But there are people who are super rational. I am dominant, visual, and secondarily super rational, which makes me a terrible listener, um, but a person who thankfully can spend a lot of time up in his thoughts um, because I'm required to sit at a desk and write all day, every day, a lot of my life. And then finally, there's one that can be used to help learning, but it's not itself, doesn't itself tend to be a, a, a learning avenue, and that's gustatory olfactory, and it's your taste and your smell. Um, obviously, those who are sommeliers and can tell you by taste which wine came from which you know vintner in which year from which grape harvest, um, or the chefs who are highly skilled. These people have highly refined gustatory olfactory senses. Um, that they don't. T- that doesn't necessarily help you in school, but it can be used to help you. For example, I have told parents to burn a pleasant candle. Um, in the room of, uh, of a student who's gustatory olfactory. We usually don't know about these things, by the way, till later in college. But still, if you have a child who's oriented that way, yeah, use it as a pleasant association with the learning process, and it will help. Um, I also urge in some cases that we, we let kids eat while they study. Um, this this then, then learning becomes associated with something pleasurable to them. So visual, auditory, super rational, kinesthetic, and gustatory olfactory. Now, obviously, once you figure out what your primary information collecting system is, in my case, for example, visual, um, you can begin to realize all kinds of benefits. Um, I memorize a list by putting it on paper. An auditory person is going to memorize a list by saying it out loud or putting it to song or uh, somehow shoving it in the ear gate. A kinesthetic person might, and I know this sounds silly, but you can't believe how many people I've, I've helped, even at the doctoral level, um, that, that person might walk around their room, might work out while they're memorizing the list, might, uh, might even do a pantomime while they're memorizing the list. Uh, the kinesthetic person would, would have to do that kind of thing. Um, the super rational person will memorize the list and then forget where he put it, but they are not going to have any problem memorizing. And then gustatory olfactory, that just, we simply need to uh, cause those experiences to go parallel the learning process. So I literally know one family working with a gustatory olfactory person um, who, where they burn a certain candle, certain scent of candle, 
uh, or serve a certain food, just a, an exact food when it's time to memorize, as opposed when it's, to when it's time to read, as opposed to when it's time to do something else. They're trying to make associations and they're trying to make it pleasant. So you'll figure out what's best for you, but pay attention to what your modality is. It should even affect when you're in the college level, what professors you choose. If I'm highly visual and there's one professor in a subject who is just very, you know, expressive and moves around a lot and uses visual aids and pounds the podium and writes things on the board and dramatic. Well, that's great for me as a visual person. I want to be in that professor's class rather than the person who may have a beautiful voice, but who never moves and stares at their notes the whole time. That's great for the auditory person. That's not great for me. I need to sit up front in a classroom because I'm visual. Um, the auditory person needs to spit, sit near the speaker or where they can hear well. Maybe it's in the middle of an amphitheater, for example, to collect the sound. You see what I'm saying. So these are the things that we need to think about. Um, and so take some time. I'll pick up this topic in our next podcast. But take some time to look at yourself, those you teach, and the children in your home, the children you're responsible for, and ponder whether they are auditory, visual, gustatory olfactory, kinesthetic, or super rational. This is the beginning of figuring out your unique learning style and developing it. And for me, this made a massive difference. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author and popular speaker who coaches and advises leaders worldwide. To learn more about Stephen, log on to stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell, who also wrote and performed the Rockin' Podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production. Chartwell is ingeniously led by Beverly Darnell Mansfield. As a result, all rights are reserved. For more information, contact us through stephenmansfield.tv.